by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. We don't want to be those that say, well, Jesus is coming back tomorrow, and then he doesn't come, and then everybody's left with these crazy Christians, right? So we want to be balanced and we want to acknowledge that we don't know everything. I certainly don't. But we want to be ready. He says, you may not know the day or the hour, but you'll know when he's near. You'll know when he's about, you can hear him almost knocking on the door. You can almost hear the trumpet sounding. So, we should be paying attention. He wants us to pay attention. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, but the end has not yet come. We've seen wars. We've seen World War One, World War Two, uh, Korea, Vietnam, just here in America, not to count all the wars that's going on around the world. There's wars all the time. So you may say, well, how is this war in, in Israel different? We don't know that it is for sure. But we do see some things coming to a head, as we'll explain. <clears throat> Let's talk about Ishmael and Isaac for a moment because I believe that we need to look back at the past to kind of understand how we got here you remember God was trying to get Abraham or Abram at the time to believe him to be the father of many nations he had told him that even though you're old and your wife Sarah is barren I'm going to give you a child it's going to be a child of promise and so Abram and Sarah, they was trying to believe God. And how many knows faith is a journey? You don't get there overnight. You build your faith line upon line, precept upon precept, happening upon happening, condition upon condition. Things build your faith. And so if you're, not, if you're wondering why you have those furrows in your back like Brother Rick was talking about in the offering, sometimes it's... It's to lead us to a deeper place of trust in God. But before I get to preaching on anything, let me calm down. God was trying to build Abram's faith. But somewhere along the line, it's been many years since God promised that, and it hadn't happened yet. And Abram's like wondering, is, is God true? or Did I really hear? Was that just some pizza I ate that night? And Sarah, his wife, says, you know what? Maybe God needs a little help. You know, maybe he needs our help to accomplish these things. So why don't you take my handmaiden, Hagar, as your wife, as your second wife, and sleep with her. And then when she has a baby, we'll call that the child of promise. But that was just them trying to help God. That's a, they were trying to shortcut the process of faith. And we do that, don't we? We try to make it happen in our own strength. We, get, we lose patience and said, God's forgot about me. Let me go ahead and get busy and make this happen. And God's not looking for that. He's looking for you to trust him. So they have a child, and his name is Ishmael. And this is not the child of promise. 
So God says, keep working on your faith. And so many years later, I think it's like 13 years later, when Abraham's 100 years old and Sarah's, I think she was 90, they finally have the child of promise, Isaac. Now, Isaac was born, and Ishmael's 13 years old at this point. There's all kind of turmoil going on in the household. I mean, those having two wives, it probably ain't a good idea. Hagar and Sarah are just into it all the time. Now Ishmael is making fun of little Isaac. He's giving him the business, so to speak, all the time. And in Genesis 21, verse 10, So Sarah turned to Abraham and demanded, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. You know, it was her plan all along, right? But now she realizes, man, I've messed up. There's no, no, you know, the flesh produces no good thing. She says, so now I just want to get rid of this slave woman and her son. He's not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. She's putting her foot down, you know. And you would think God would say, well, now, you know, you're the one did this. But in verse 11, it says, this upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. Do you know God loves people, whether they're here on purpose or by by an accident or a mistake? Abraham was upset because he loved Ishmael. It was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. And I will also make a great nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So, God determined that the child of promise is the one that's going to be fulfilled the the prophecy that I made that you will be the father of a great nation, of many nations. Although, Ishmael is your son too, even though that was of your own doing. I'm going to bless him too. So you see two nations, so to speak, two tribes are born from the, from the same man, Abraham, the father of the faith. The descendants of Ishmael are what we commonly refer to as Arabs. And the descendant of Isaac uh, are what we would call today the Jews. So you have these two people groups. Now why do we Christians care about what's going on with Arabs and Jews? Well, Galatians chapter 4 verse 28 says, And you, dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to the church, he says, you're children of the promise just like Isaac. We're children of faith. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born of human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born of the power of the Spirit. In other words, the the people born of natural, the natural man wants to keep the law. 
But he said, you're the child of promise. Isaac got here by faith in God. And that's how you became my children too, by faith in God. You are children of trusting God. They are natural children that want to do their own thing. They want to be producing things by works. You produce things by faith. They trust in themselves. You trust in me. That's what God would be saying. Does that make sense to you? So we're like uh, the Jews, the, the children of promise. Are Christians and Jews to be enemies? You know, there's been a lot of uh, teaching over the years in the Christian church that since it was the Jews that shouted, crucify him, crucify him, now they're our enemies. They, they, some people claim that we're the new Jews. The Christians t took over. They replaced the Jews, and the Jews are just thrown on a heap pile of destruction. They're cast, you know, God has forgotten the Jews. That is not true. The Bible tells us, much differently. Romans eleven twenty eight says, many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news. In other words, they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe that he is the Messiah. They are still awaiting the Messiah. They have the Old Testament, and it's all about Jesus, but they look at it through natural eyes. So this spiritual nation of promise has turned natural wanting to keep the law instead of believe by faith they don't trust in the messiah when he came and so in romans eleven twenty eight, 28 it says many of the people of israel are now enemies of the good news but does that mean they're our enemies it just means they don't believe in jesus and it says this benefits you gentiles you know, there's Jews and there's Gentiles, and we're Gentiles, most of us. I don't know if there's any Jews in here. But how does it benefit us? Well, God in his perpetual wisdom and understanding is so much higher than we can understand. He knew that they would turn away. And so God has temporarily turned his attention from the Jewish nation to his church, the Gentiles who have believed. Because you remember when Jesus came, they wouldn't believe in him. And so he, he opened it up to the Gentiles. And he says, if you will believe, you will become the spiritual children of God. And we did. But at the same time, that doesn't mean God has forgotten all the promises that he made to his children, Israel. They, the Bible says in Romans 11, I think, it was. Let me make sure about that. Yeah, Romans 11, that they were natural branches. Jesus is the vine, and they were the natural branches that fit in the, in the tree. They were receiving the nutrients from the branch. But they were broke off because of their unbelief. You know, there's only one way to heaven, even for a Jew, right? And that is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. So they were broken off because of unbelief. And we, who were far away from God, didn't even know his laws and didn't care about him, we, through faith in Christ, have been grafted into that vine. And we have become alive with Christ. 
We have eternal life. We have everything Jesus flowing through us. We have life. But he also goes on to say, but don't think of yourself too highly than you ought, so to speak. Don't think you're all that because you've been grafted in and they've been broken off. Don't discard Israel because if we as wild branches were able to be grafted into the vine, how much more can they as the natural branches be grafted back into the vine? And God is not through with Israel. He is not through. So don't be... Uh, thinking that we're enemies of Israel because they will become brothers and sisters in Christ. At least many of them will. So God has chosen Israel to be the focal point for end time events. Jesus, when he spoke on the end times in Matthew 24, verse 32, he says, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. Now, he could be speaking of a natural fig tree, but you know, there's many levels when Jesus speaks. There's a spiritual level. And, and I believe that the Bible often likens Israel to a fig tree. You can see that in Hosea 9, verse 10, Jeremiah 24. Uh, in Jeremiah 8, 13, there's a fig tree that bears no fruit. And he was referring to Israel. You remember before he came into Jerusalem that he cursed that fig tree that was producing no fruit? And he... When he was out there before he came in, he's like, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I have, how long I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers the chicks. I just wanted to draw you close, but you would not. You, you won't believe. You won't trust me. And so he cursed the fig tree because it pro produced no fruit. It wouldn't trust in him. And when the branch, and it goes on to say, now learn the lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In other words, it was desolate for a time. But when you see it beginning to come back alive, come back, it begins to sprout out again. You know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, and what's he, the things he's talking about is the things he's been talking about in Matthew 24, the end times. So we're talking about end times. Say end times. So he says, when you see all these things, you can know that his return is very near right at the door. He said, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. So this generation that he's talking about, this end time, he's talking about his return. It's very near. Is that the door? You'll know that when you see this fig tree that was barren and desolate and had been cursed for a time come back together and start sprouting and coming alive again. And do you know that the nation that we now call Israel was a barren wasteland some hundred years ago? It was just nothing but desert. And in one day, now, the first message I gave on this, I, I made a mistake. I want to correct that. I said that in 1948 on May the 4th. It was 1948, May 14th. I am very sorry about that. I made a mistake last message. And I said it was 11 days till May 15th until they were at war. I was wrong. It was one day. It was the next day. 
On May 15th, they went to war. United Nations declared Israel a nation. Why did they do that? It's crazy. Never before has a people been gathered from all over the world back to a certain homeland that they had before and redeclared a nation. Do you understand that in 1945, 46, 47, a biblical scholar could be looking at the Word of God and seeing all these prophecies about the nation of Israel in the end and saying, God's a liar because there is no nation of Israel. There's no way for this to come to pass. And there was literally zero chance that these people would ever become a nation again. But because of the horrors of World War II and the Holocaust, the world was feeling awful bad for the way they had treated the Jews. And so the United Nations got together and under the, what is a miracle of God declared their homeland Israel again and that the Jews could return. And people from all over the world that had dispersed had come together. Do you understand the miracle that happened in 1948? Suddenly, where there was no way that all these prophecies could come to pass, suddenly we're like, the fig tree is alive! It's a miracle! And oh my goodness, what are the ramifications that Israel is a nation and this generation will not pass away until all these things become fulfilled? Meaning the return of Christ, this generation. What is a generation? Well, I don't know, but it doesn't sound like we got that long to figure it out. This generation will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Did the clock start in 1948? How many years has that been so far? 52 plus 23? Huh? 75 years. What is a generation? My goodness, we better wake up. God had foretold their scattering in Deuteronomy 30, in Jeremiah 31, 10, in Zechariah 8, 7. And he had prophesied that they would come together in Jeremiah 23, 7, and 8, and many other scriptures that, throughout the Bible. On May 14, 1948, they became a nation, and on May 15, 1948, they went to war. Why? Because the descendants of Ishmael have always had a hatred for the descendants of Isaac. They feel slighted. Hey, I was the firstborn, but God chose my younger brother. As the, because they believe. Well, we work. We work hard. They, they're, we're serving Allah. We're giving our life. And you say your God gave his life. Well, you ain't doing, you're not doing anything compared to me. And they're bitter and they're angry. And oh, the history, it goes all the way back to Ishmael and Isaac and beyond. So there was the 1948 war, Arab-Israeli war. Just in this generation, in 1967, there was the Six-Day War. In 1973, there was the Yom Kippur War. In 1982, and again in 2006, the Lebanon Wars. The Palestinians in the First and Second Infadas. 
then the Gaza War of 2008, and here we are in 2023, and it's another Gazan War. Israel has literally had to fight for its existence every step of the way. But God has promised something different for this generation. In Amos chapter 9, verse 14, he said, I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands, and they will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. And they will plant vineyards and gardens. They will eat their crops and drink their wine. And I will firmly plant them in their own land. And they will never again be uprooted from the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Since 1948, Israel has become agricultural wonder of the world they probably export more fruit than any nation in the world this tiny little sliver of a country this is a beautiful land it is no longer a deserted wasteland god has caused the fig tree to bloom only god could have done this do you understand and god has promised that he will firmly plant them in their own land this time and never be uprooted again. But the Bible does prophesy more challenges and more wars. Many believe that the, the skirmish, I call it a skirmish, a war that is happening right now, this terrible tragedy is happening between the Palestinians and the Jews in Gaza, could be the beginning of an unfulfilled prophecy that we see in Ezekiel 38 and 39. A terrible war that the Bible tells us, and many people call it the war of Gog and Magog. Now, Gog is the leader of the nation, and Magog is the name of the nation. Now, I just want to caution you that when we see biblical prophecy in the Old Testament is calling them the things that they called them back then. Now nations have changed their names, moved regions, and so it's kind of hard to piece everything together. But there's no doubt about this. The nation of Magog is Russia. It is a nation the Bible describes as just north of Israel. And it is talking about the land of Russia Many people are asking today, is Vladimir Putin this crazy Gog? <laughs> is he Gog? Is he the one? I don't know. But it's amazing uh, the possibilities. So in this war of Gog and Magog, there's not only Russia that we see in Ezekiel 38 and 39. We also see them aligned with Persia which, by chance, is the modern-day Iran. When you see Persia in the Bible, it's talking about what we now know as Iran. Never before, and to my recollection, recollection, has Russia and Iran been allied until here recently. 
just recently, Iran has been sending weaponry to Russia to help them fight Ukraine. And we wonder, is Russia maybe sending nuclear secrets to Iran? What, what is the sudden partnership between Iran and Russia? Who would have believed it, that it would come to pass in this hour? Also in the war of Gog and Magog is Tubal. That's Turkey. Same thing. Now in alliance with Russia and Iran. Also mentioned is Libya and Ethiopia. If you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, we're not going to do that today. Uh, the war with Gog and Magog will end with God's fury boiling over. Ezekiel says that the world will quake as they see God fighting for Israel. So this is a very serious war. In Ezekiel 39, 12, it says it will take seven months for the people of Israel to bury the bodies and cleanse the land. So God fights for Israel in the war of Gog and Magog, and it take, he destroys the enemy so that it'll take seven months just to bury all the bodies. A serious, very serious war. And in Ezekiel 38, 8, it describes when this war will happen. It says, as Israel is enjoying peace after recovering from war. You might say, well, Israel's always recovering from war. So is this the war of Gog and Magog? Now you say Russia's not involved. Turkey's not involved. Iran, they're involved. But is this, could be, could be, could be the start of it. But I'm going to tell you that I don't think it is. This is just, you know, this is my opinion. I don't think that this is the beginning of the Gog and Magog war. I believe that this war leans more towards the war that we see that will happen in Psalms 83. If you'll turn to Psalms 83. Psalms 83 verse 1 says, O God, do not be silent. Do not be deaf. Do not be quiet, O God. Don't you hear the uproar of your enemies? Don't you see that your arrogant enemies are rising up? They devise crafty schemes against your people. They conspire against your precious ones. Come, they say, let us wipe out Israel as a nation. Have you heard that on the news? Calls to wipe out Israel? Isn't that crazy that this, these psalms were written thousands of years ago? And that's what's happening today. They are calling for Israel to be wiped off the map. Let us wipe out Israel as a nation. We will destroy the very memory of its existence. Yes, this was their unanimous decision. And they signed a treaty as allies against you. These idiomites, this 
Ishmaelites, the Moabites, the Hagrites, the Gabalites, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, and the people from Philistia and Tyre. Assyria has joined them too and is allied with the descendants of Lot. Sounds like a lot of people coming together to wipe Israel off the face of the map. But do you, we're going to discuss just briefly where all these nations are today in modern understanding of who these people that are allied to wipe off Israel off the face of the map. And they're all encircled Israel, this tiny little nation. And they've been called Iran's ring of fire. If you listen to the news, you, you understand that Hezbollah, Hamas, these other terrorist organizations, and many, many Arab countries that surround Israel are on the payroll of Iran. Iran is unhinged about taking out Israel and wiping. They've been saying wipe Israel off the face of the map for some time now. And the, the nations described in this passage in Psalms 83 are called the ring of fire, because they encircle Israel. So if this is not the, the war of Gog and Magog, Russia, Iran, and Turkey, which sit outside the ring of fire, could it be that Iran, and maybe Russia, who knows, have hired this ring of fire to do their dirty work for them? They're going to try that first so they don't have to get involved. They've got these proxies, as they call them, to encircle Israel. Now you say, well, some of these nations, well, we'll find out, are not allied together yet. Maybe they won't. Maybe, maybe this, this isn't the Psalms 83 war either. Maybe this is just another war leading up to it. But quite possibly, if what I'm going to tell you today begins to happen, you will already know that God has already foretold this happening. So, let's talk about these, these nations, these Edomites, Ishmaelites. Who are the Edomites? Well, they're in modern-day Jordan. Can I get the map up there? We're just going to leave a map up there. for. You see, the red is Israel, and Jordan is just to its east there. And that's where the Edomites, the modern-day Edomites live. They are descendants of, guess who? Esau. Okay. So Isaac, the child of promise, grows up and he marries Rebekah, but Rebekah can't have children. And so they pray to God, and God, the God of promise, gives them, gets Rebekah pregnant, and she has twins in her womb. And so they're going to have two more children. They're going to have two children. And it's going to be a miraculous birth. But these two babies in the womb, they're fighting. They're not just, you know, poking an elbow. You know, you've been, if you've been pregnant, you can see a little elbow poke out, a little kick every now and then. I mean, it's some wop, wop, wop going on inside. It's a, there it is again, these two nations. 
And Rebekah asked the Lord about it in Genesis 25, 23, and the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and the older son will serve the younger son. Just like Ishmael and Isaac, Ishmael was the older, but God chose the younger, Isaac. Now, Isaac is having children. He's having twins. They're fighting in the womb. And God says before they even come out that the older one will serve the younger one. So who comes out first? That's all. They're waiting to see what's going on. She has the baby. The first one, he comes out all red and hairy. And so they call him Esau. That means red and hairy. But guess what? This other kid's holding on to his ankle. He's still trying to get some punches in. The kids, one kid's out and one kid's in. He's still trying to get him. And the second child is born. And they call him Jacob. Something to do with he who grabs the heel or something like that. That's where he gets his name. And so you have Ishmael and Jacob. Two nations. You might recall that as they grew older, Esau was a hunter and he was a wild man. And he would go kill his game and he went hunting for a long time, came back. And uh, Jacob, who liked to stay at home, he was a homebody, you know. He was cooking a bowl of a stew. And Esau, give me some of that stew. I'm starving, man. I've been hunting all day. He said, mm, will you sell me your birthright? I'll give you some. And see, his birthright was given to the older son. But Esau... He despised his birthright. It didn't mean anything to him. I'm just hungry. I'm just a wild man. You know, I just do what I want. I'm a natural man. What's a birthright mean to me? I don't care about the things of God and God's ways of doing things. Just give me some soup. Give me something from my belly. And so he sold his birthright. Maybe that's why God said what he says in Romans 9 and 10. Look at Romans 9 and 10. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. You see, people, sometimes you say, God can't use that person, then God begins to use that person. Well, they don't have any gifts or talents. Why is God using them? Because God chose to. That's one of the, okay, Christianity 101. God is God, and God makes the choices. God sets the rules. He does what he wants to do. If you can't live by that, then you're a natural man. Because spiritual men live by faith and trust in God. Trust that he will make the right decisions. So God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of scripture, I have loved Jacob, but I have rejected Esau. 
I don't know if it was because he knew Esau was going to reject his birthright. He was going to be a natural man and not trust in God. I don't know. But the descendants of Esau, this natural brute beast of a man who despised the things of God, his, birth, his own birthright, became the Edomites that will attack Israel from Jordan in this Psalms 83 war. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's the Edomites and the Ishmaelites. Now that just tells you right there in the name, these are descendants of who? Ishmael. They're now located in Saudi Arabia. We got our map up. Saudi Arabia, a little bit to the east of, of Jordan, but still very close to Israel in this ring of fire. Just as Esau was born before Jacob, Ishmael had been born before Isaac. But Ishmael was born of the flesh, and Isaac was born by a miracle of faith. Esau angered God by despising his birthright, so Jacob was chosen. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, the scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, y'all know who I'm talking about, Adam and Eve? Adam, the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Adam messed it up. Adam chose... The, that he wanted to be like God. He didn't want to follow God. He, he listened to the devil and says, you can be like God. So yeah, I'll do that. I don't want to just trust in God. I don't want to just believe in somebody else. I want to sit on the throne, so I'll eat that fruit. He chose. And he brought sin into the world. But Jesus came and he paid that sin debt, and he became a life-giving spirit. He redid, he redid what Adam messed up. And now he gives each one of us the choice. Are you going to be God of your own life? Are you going to do it in your natural strength? Are you going to trade your birthright for a bowl of red stew? Or are you going to trust God and live by faith? And trust in God. God gave Adam everything that he could possibly desire in the Garden of Eden. And it wasn't enough. He had to be in control. Who's in control of your life? Are you in control? You better trust in Christ. He's the life-giving spirit. It's not the natural man that is pleasing to God. God could have chose Ishmael. He could have chose Esau. He could have said, man, he's a good hunter. I like his talents. Ishmael's the oldest. I like the oldest. No, he chose those who would be pleasing to him. God does not choose the natural man. He chooses the spiritual man. And we must not try to please God by our flesh, but by our faith. The Muslim faith that most Arabs cling to is a false god. He's not real. He's a fig newton of their imagination. 
And they serve him by believing that the works of their flesh will get them to heaven and make them right with God. If they kill enough infidels, they will have rewards in heaven. But God saves by grace through faith. It's not of works. It's the gift of God. And since the beginning, Ishmael and Esau's descendants have despised the children of promise. Because it just seems too easy, doesn't it? You, just, you mean I just all I have to do is believe? Well, believe is a little tougher than <laughs> it sounds. But yes, we're saved by grace through faith. Grace is a gift you don't deserve. It's the gift of God. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. And the natural man wants to boast before God. The natural man wants the glory. And God said, I'll share my glory with no man. If you come through the narrow door, you don't come at all. If you come through the sheep gate, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, or you don't get there. But before I get to preaching, in Psalms 83, we see the Edomites and the Ishmaelites. And then we also see the descendants of Lot, which is the Moabites and the Ammonites. They are also in Jordan, modern-day Jordan. You remember Abraham's nephew Lot went with him, and then they had to part ways because they had both become so blessed, and Lot chose to live where? Sodom and Gomorrah. He lived in the filth, and God even... God loved a lot and brought him and his family out and tried to bring them out, and his wife kept looking back, you know, desiring the things that she had left when God was trying to save her. And so Lot was delivered from Sodom, but he went and lived on the mountain because Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by God's anger. And then he turned to alcohol, and his daughters didn't have any husbands or any boys up on the mountain, so they said, well, we want to have children, so let's get daddy drunk and sleep with him. And they did, and they both became, became impregnated by their father in an incestuous relationship. And guess who the two children were, the father of, of what nations? The Moabites and the Ammonites. But God loved Lot. Before I go any further, it almost sounds like God doesn't love the Arabs. Or God doesn't love the natural man. Well, I know he loved me when I was a natural man. And I can guarantee you he loves natural people. He loves sinners. He loves to save sinners. He came to save sinners from their sin. But the only way they can be saved is to stop being a natural man and become a man of, of faith. Does that make sense? But, but God, when I talk about the Palestinians and the Edomites and the Ammonites and all these people groups, I want you to understand that God has bore with them as much as possible. He has loved them and pursued them just like he pursued you. Our, our, I don't know if our descendants are, are where we descended from is much better. But the Moabites and the Ammonites are in modern-day Jordan. And God instructed 
the Israelites, when they came into the promised land, not to take that land from Lot. He said, I've given this to Lot. I don't want you to mess with that. When God gives a possession to a people, he, it's eternal. And he gave that land to Lot. So Israel did not mess with Lot's land. But the descendants of Lot, the Moabites and the Ammonites, have often tried to take Israel's land. So they did not return the goodwill. But they are, uh, the descendants of Lot, the Moabites and the Ammonites, will join with the Ishmaelites and the Edomites in this war of Psalms 83. So this, we're just talking about a war that could possibly about to happen before our eyes. Have you seen the news of how the Saudis, who were about to sign a peace tre treaty with Israel before this war broke out, are now are meeting with the, the Iran? Do you see the anger that's going on in the Middle East in this ring of fire, how quickly these nations could become allies and sign a, a treaty to destroy Israel? I just... Throwing these things out there. Okay, the Hagrites. Who are the Hagrites? They are Arab tribes related to the Ishmaelites. Possibly kinfolks of Hagar. Maybe that's why they're called the Hagrites. You remember? The, the woman that was the second wife to Abraham who bore Ishmael, Hagar. Well, these Hagrites are possibly her descendants. And most likely they are found in what we know as modern day Syria. just northeast of Israel. And we know, man, they've had civil war going on the last five or six years that I know of, maybe more. That nation has just destroyed itself. But that's who they are, the Hagrites. The Gibeolites, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, would be modern-day Lebanon, north Lebanon. You see, just north of Israel, and then to the north side of Lebanon. That's where the Gibelites are from. The Gibelites have a history with Israel, but it's not all bad. They got along with them sometimes and sometimes didn't. Then the Amalekites. These are also descendants of Esau, most likely found within the current boundaries of Israel. These are people, the Arabs, who live in Israel modern day, the Amalekites. You may remember them for when Moses was leading God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and heading towards the promised land, who was the first ones to attack them? It was the Amalekites, the descendants of Esau. They were the first to attack Israel and have always seemed to seek Israel's destruction. They often display rabid Anti-Semitism. That's what, if you don't think about it, it comes out natural. If you think about saying that word, you'll mess it up. <laughs> Therefore, in Exodus 17, 16, the Lord says, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. God, in, in fact, instructed King Saul, the first king of Israel, to wipe them completely out. You remember that story where God said, I want you to wipe Amalek off the map. They attacked my people when they were at peace. They wouldn't let them come through their land when, when I was leading them out of Egypt. 
and I want you to wipe them off the face of the earth. And you remember, King Saul was rebellious and didn't do it, didn't finish the job. And Samuel the priest came and he said, what's this bleeding I hear in my ears? You've taken the sheep and the, the goats for yourself. You didn't do what God said. And that's when God decided, King Saul, you're not going to be king anymore because you won't do what I say. He was rebellious. But you remember, that's, uh, those were the Amalekites. Uh, let's see. They were also the ones who raided David's camp that time where David had to stir himself up that we talk so often about. You remember it? The Amalekites were the ones who stole David's wives and children and all, the, all, his, all his men's stuff. And his men turned on and wanted to kill him. You remember that story? That was the Amalekites. David rode and he destroyed those who had done that, the Amalekites. Okay, do you remember the story in the book of Esther, a man named Haman? He was the evil guy in the story that wanted, sought the total destruction of Israel? Well, it's thought that his pathological hatred of the Jews was because he was a direct descendant of the Amalekite king that King Saul had killed. He was a family member of that king that Saul had previously killed, and now here he is in the book of Esther getting the king to destroy all the Jews. You'll have to read Esther for yourself. It's too much to talk about. And then, the Amalekites today are most likely what we now know as Palestinians. They are the Arabs living in the nation of Israel. So you get a little bit of history of the animosity between these two nations. And God said that they will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And so this is going to be constant. So we got, we're almost through. The Edomites, the Ishmaelites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Hagrites, the Gibbalites, and the Amalekites. Now we got Philistia. These are also Palestinians that live in the area of Gaza. That's where they lived in biblical times. They were also called the Philistines. <laughs> You've probably read a lot of stories in the Bible about David fighting the Philistines and Israel fighting against the Philistines and Samson fighting against the Philistines. Those are the people that live in modern-day Gaza. Then you have the nation of Tyre in this Ring of Fire coalition. That would be described as modern-day uh, southern Lebanon. You remember we talked about the other in northern Lebanon, and then southern Lebanon, and you know what's in southern Lebanon right now. It's Hezbollah. That's the, that's the, the people that are shooting the rockets into Israel along with Gaza. God, you understand Gaza's in, within Israel on the left side there. They're shooting rockets into their own space there, into Israel and southern Lebanon is where Hezbollah is just across the border they're threatening to, they're already you know wanting to wipe out Israel but they're they're shooting a certain amount of rockets into Israel just not enough to cause the war to be full-blown yet but it looks like it could happen that Hezbollah or these uh, descendants of Tyre will enter the war here shortly I would not be surprised 
And then finally it says Assyria would join the war too, and that's northern Iraq. So it seems like we've pretty much circled Israel. So if this war, if you see these nations that we've discussed here today all coming in alignment and all trying to come together to destroy Israel, you'll know, hey, this is the Psalms 83 war. This is what Pastor thought it, it might escalate into. And guess what? Since Israel will not be uprooted, that war will obviously have to fail, won't it? And that could lead to an escalation of the Ezekiel 38-39 war where Iran, Turkey, and Russia enter the war along with their other two partners. And then the, it, things even go from there. I wanted to bring to your attention before we close Isaiah 17.1. I know this is a lot of information today. But I didn't want to break it up into two weeks. I wanted to go ahead and get it to you today. Isaiah 17.1, just to throw this out, says the burden against Damascus. Damascus is one of the oldest cities in existence. It goes all the way back to before Jesus' time. You remember Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus and so forth. It is, uh, Damascus is in modern-day Syria which is to the east of, northeast of Israel. It says, but behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. That hasn't come to pass yet. Damascus is still a city. Now, civil war in city, Syria has demolished it somewhat, but it is still a city, and that Prophecy has not come to pass. It has not become a ruinous heap, never to be inhabited again, the Bible says. What would cause a nation or a city to never be inhabited again? Could it be nuclear fallout? Could it be, I don't know, any given number of scenarios. Maybe Israel nukes it. Maybe in this war... Of Psalms 83. Or maybe during Ezekiel's war of 38 and 39. Maybe Iran shoots one of their new nuclear weapons and it doesn't work right and it goes to the left. And, or, or the Iron Dome deflects it and it goes just north and destroys Damascus. But I'm just telling you, there's some days to come. I want you to understand that there are... It's not just going to be kumbaya until Jesus comes back. In fact, there's many wars to come. There will be world wars during the tribulation period, the seven years that the Antichrist rules on the earth. There will be what you know as the War of Armageddon. When we come back riding with Jesus in the valley of Armageddon to destroy the enemies that have, have gathered to destroy Israel, and then would you believe there's a war after the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth? It's the war at the end of the millennial reign where Satan is released for a time and he gathers forces against God's people and God destroys them with, the, the, with his own breath. So this is a dangerous world. Why is it so dangerous? 
Does God like war? Is God causing these wars? Or do you think it is the sin in man that rises up in hatred and animosity and, and wants to kill and steal and destroy? Is it God that causes wars? Because God tells us a war is coming, does that mean God made it happen? Or does God knew that man would do this? And why does, is God okay with Israel fighting to, to defend itself? Why will God come and, and fight for Israel? Same reason God comes and fights for you. Because he loves you. And evil must be fought. You cannot sit back and just let evil have its way. It will destroy everything. That's why I appreciate our veterans. Why do we have a ready military force? Because if we didn't, we would not have a United States of America today. Evil is fighting, therefore good must be fighting. God gives us authorities and those in authority. God gives us the military. God gives us police. Evil must be fought against. I know that man, we think we know everything, don't we? I'm telling you, these progressive ideas today, they seem so wonderful, man. We'll just have a utopia society and everybody will get along. If we'll just be nice to everyone, if we'll just give everybody free stuff, we'll give everybody everything they want, and then they won't fight with each other. Maybe, maybe that sounds good, but how many knows God knows what's in the heart of man, and that ain't going to work. Socialism sounds like a utopian society. Will not work and has proven that it won't work. Communism, trusting the government. Why can't you trust the government? Because there's people in the government. There's only one person that we can trust. And his ways are the right ways. And bless the hearts of these young people in our colleges. They're being taught that, man, can't we just, you know, can we all just get along and not fight? Can, can, they, they have, their heart is in the right place. They don't want to see people killed. They don't want to see war. But they haven't lived long enough to understand that if you do not fight back evil, evil will conquer. And there will be no life to preserve. There will be no life to preserve. We must Pray for the peace of Jerusalem while we got a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. We have to fight. And what is God asking of us as a people? To war in the spirit. Because we're of the spiritual man, Jesus. We're not of the natural man, Adam. God wants you to trust Him. He wants you to pray and believe. And, and when you see things in God's Word, when you see that God made marriage between a man and a woman, 
It's so easy for our natural mind to say, well, that sounds biased. That sounds this. That ain't right. That ain't what it, with culture. They need to come on ahead with things. Why can't a man get married to a man? Why can't a woman get married to a woman? They want to... They think that they can sit on the throne and make new rules. And that God's... That God don't know what He's talking about. He's old. He's, he's out of touch. I'm telling you, this nation was born upon biblical principles, and that's why we have been blessed to be one of the greatest nations who has ever lived. Because we have trusted God. We have turned to God. We said, in, in God we trust. And in the day we turn to think that we, can, we know better than God and we can decide for our own self and that God is old news, God is old-fashioned, we turn back to a natural country. And I'm concerned that we would turn to be an enemy of Israel. And God says He blesses those that bless Israel and He curses those who curse Israel. Why does God get to say it? Why does God get to choose the younger brother to, to be over the older brother? Because He wants to. In His infinite wisdom, I can't begin to sit up here and have to explain the way God is. But He is who He is. And He says what He says, and He is the great I Am, and I am not. And until I humble myself, I will be a natural brute beast that has made myself an enemy of God. And I don't want to be an enemy of God. I want to trust Him. And I want to be humble and thankful that He is in control and take the pressure off of myself. And I'm telling you, if you're sitting on one of these pews today and you're trusting Jesus, it's more than likely because you sat on the throne too long and you realized you was just going to make a mess. Or that you did make a mess. It is only in trusting in Jesus that we find blessing. In this life, an eternal life in the world to come. So what do we do, Pastor? We stay rapture ready. Because we talked a lot of, about wars to come, but guess what? Somewhere in there, before the tribulation, God has not appointed His children to the wrath that will be poured out on this earth, and God will take His people up. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ will rise. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in, in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be. And we'll come riding back with Him. We won't have to fight no more. We just ride with Jesus. And I'm believing that if we're looking for Him and we're ready, When he says, come up hither, we'll hear his voice. And we'll rise on the wings as eagles. And we'll leave this wrath that is to come upon the earth. So concentrate on the greats. What do I do, Pastor? Concentrate on the greats. The great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. 
and the great commission to go into all the world and help people see, stop trusting in yourself. Stop being an Ishmael or an Esau or a Lot, but trust in the Lord and be delivered and be saved. That is why Jesus came, that all those natural brute beasts that we used to be could be transformed and our heart could be renewed and our lives could be changed and that we would have, we could come together as a city on a hill as an example of God's goodness in the earth, that He has not given up on mankind. Pray for Hamas. Pray for Hezbollah. Pray for the Palestinians. Pray for all these people we've talked about. Pray that they would turn from their ways, their wicked ways, and, and meet the Lord, the true Lord, the risen God, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Pray that they would come to saving faith in Him, that they would put their faith in something other than themselves and be saved. Adam, he wanted to be like God. He didn't want to trust God. He had two children, Cain and Abel. They both brought offerings to God. Cain's was rejected. Abel's was accepted because Cain came and said, look at what I did. Look what I did. It was, I believe it was his attitude. Look what I raised. He gave him some crops. But Abel brought him a blood sacrifice in faith and he was accepted and Cain was rejected the first two brothers so this goes way back it's not just Ishmael and Isaac or Jacob and Esau it's Adam and Eve it's Adam and God it's Cain and Abel it's Moses and Joshua Moses is a man of God but he represents the law because he went on the mountain to bring down the law, the Ten Commandments. But the law got him to the promised land, but the law couldn't get him across. And it was J Joshua who was a type shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ that was able to bring him across. So don't stop on this side of the, the promised land. Through faith, walk on in. There is a reward for those who put their trust in Jesus. Do you understand? We'll close with Revelation 21 3 says, I heard a shout from heaven and from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. That's what he wants to be with his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death and no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. God has never loved sin. He's never loved anything about the dark things of this world. He has only tried to bring light, and he's trying to bring light through his people, you and me. So spread this light and pray for the peace of Jerusalem and do everything that you do by faith. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.